Hello, and welcome to the Encouragement Expert Podcast. We're glad you tuned in today. Let's join Pastor Wes Stauffenbaugh with today's encouraging word titled, From Weary to Refreshed. Praise the Lord. It's a delight to be with each of you today. I love you. God bless you in Jesus' name. Uh, Let's say a prayer together, and then we'll get into a wonderful message. Father, thank you for your presence as we gather together in the name of Jesus. We ask you to surround each one of us and speak to us and uh, refresh us by your Spirit and your Word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The message is called From Weary to Refreshed. I want to ask you, dear friend, are you weary? There's nothing wrong with that, but we can fix it. Now, I grew up on a cattle ranch in western South Dakota, and we had a full-blood quarter horse mare named Shasta. And uh, she was real sweet and gentle, but sometimes we'd go on cattle drives that were eight, nine miles long, and, boy, she'd get real weary. And when she got tired, she'd get crabby, and she'd run up behind a cow and bite the cow on the tail. (laughs) Well, I wonder, have you been feeling like Shasta, tired of all kinds of things, crabby to the point of wanting to bite someone's head off verbally? The whole world has been going through the COVID-19 plague for months now, and I think we're all experiencing at least some weariness. If we do the wrong things when we're weary, things get worse for us. If we respond wisely and take counsel from God's Word, then things will get better, and we can move from being weary to being refreshed. That's the idea of this sermon, to help you move from being weary to refreshed. I noticed that the writer of Proverbs 30 was feeling real stupid when he felt weary, and he starts that chapter off, I am weary, O God. I am weary and worn out, O God. I'm too stupid to be human. I lack common sense. Now, that's just very typical of weariness is that uh, you get weary with yourself and you start running yourself down. Now, just in case you don't realize how weary you are, I'll remind you that when you get real crabby like Shasta or you get real self-condemning like this guy that wrote Proverbs 30, you're probably weary. (laughs) Now, my first point is it's dangerous to stay weary. You see, here's a great truth. Weariness degenerates into something worse. So beware when you find yourself saying, what's the use? That's the language of weariness. The Bible says, let us not become weary in doing good, for at a proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Galatians 6, 9. Now, there's a story uh, of David. This is 1 Samuel, I believe, and uh, his small army and they, uh, at that point, he wasn't king of anything. He was running from King Saul, who was trying to kill him. But he did have a little army. And they camped out near the large flocks of a very rich man named Nabal. And so they didn't plunder or rob him. They guarded his flocks. But at shearing time, when it should have been a festive time, they went to him and asked if he'd give them some food. And uh, instead of giving them anything, the man just insulted them. And David's weariness in doing good was almost ready to degenerate into the slaughter of innocent people. When he heard the insults, he told his men to put their swords on, and uh, he was actually leading his men on a mission to kill every male in Nabal's household when God arrested him, so to speak, through the intercession of the man's wife, Abigail, who realized what an insult had happened and loaded donkeys with food and 
and met him there on the way. Now, <clears throat> the Bible says uh, that he, David had spoken these words, it's been useless, all my watching over this fellow's property in the wilderness so that nothing of his was missing. He's paid me back evil for good. May God deal with David, be it ever so severely, if by morning I leave alive one male of all who belong to him. Now, that's serious stuff. David was going to commit murder. The other innocent people in his household, the servants, any other man there, they didn't insult David. It wasn't their fault, but yet he was ready to kill them all. Oh, thank God that God stops us sometimes when our weariness has degenerated into something really bad. God was very merciful to keep David from uh, doing something that would have marred his life and ministry. Now, here's another truth. Satan attacks us when we're weary. And so when the nation of Israel came out of Egypt, Amalekites attacked them. And Moses later said, when you were weary and worn out, they met you on your journey and attacked all who were lagging behind. They had no fear of God, Deuteronomy 25, 18. And then when David fled from his son Absalom, you know, Absalom, his oldest son, tried to take over the kingdom, tried to kill David. And David's treacherous personal counselor switched sides and went with Absalom and he counseled him and he said, I would choose 12,000 men and set out tonight in pursuit of David. I would attack him while he's weary and weak. I would strike him with terror. Then all the people with him will flee. I would strike down only the king and bring back all the people to you. The death of the man you seek will mean the return of all. All the people will be unharmed. Now, you see, that's just the way the devil thinks. I'll strike him when he's weary and weak. Well, God again intervened for David, and uh, uh, David's friend Hushai gave better counsel, uh, but it was really uh, the Lord's plan to defeat this council of Ahithophel. So he wasn't attacked when he was weary, but my point is I wanted to show you that when you're weary, when you're weak, that's a prime opportunity for Satan to attack you. Now, there may be thousands of reasons why it's, a, why it's not a good idea to stay weary, but I've just given you two very strong ones. That is, your weariness could degenerate into something really bad. And uh, secondly, you leave yourself wide open to attacks of the devil. So let's not stay in weariness. We've got to do something. Now, what do we do? My second point is you must change the equation of weariness. Now, there are many reasons that people become weary, and even God gets weary with some people. Of the religious whose hearts were actually far from him, the Lord said, they've become a burden to me. I'm weary of bearing them, Isaiah 1, 14. So perhaps your weariness is because of the actions of others, but, you know, God has always warned me that I'm my own biggest problem. And I, I would suppose you're your own biggest problem as well. So God taught me to recognize what I call an equation of weariness. And it goes like this. When all I know to do, plus my very best effort, plus a very long time, equals not enough. Now, the devil will rehearse that over and over. You've done all you know how to do. You gave it your best effort. It's been a very long time. But look, it's not enough. And then he'll he'll go over it 50, 100 times. 
you did all you know to do. You gave it your best effort. It's been a very, very long time. What else is there to do but for you to quit and give up? And he'll demand that you quit and give up. So if you say to your father, can I quit now? Your father will say, honey, we don't do quit. You need to change that equation. You see? The devil's going to tell you there's nothing more you can do. It's over. You're lost. You're a loser. You're stupid. You failed miserably. But never let the devil be your coach. Now, the Holy Spirit is our coach. And he would say, just change the equation. You see, you see you've said, I, I, I've done all I know how to do. But you don't always know very much. So you just need more knowledge. Now, you can pray for knowledge. You can go seeking knowledge. You can get counsel. You can read books. But the point is, you need to inject knowledge into that side of the equation. Find something you don't know. You've done all you do know to do. It's not enough. Well, then you need to increase uh, that change that left side of the equation there. Now, for instance, for years, I have never understood how to have a workable website for my ministry. I have a nice-looking website, but it doesn't generate hardly any sales. It's better than the first one I made. It didn't generate any sales. <laughs> but this one's never paid for itself, even though it looks really nice. And uh, so now that I have this new book, uh, Good and Faithful Servant, a trumpet call to return to spiritual leadership. I've worked almost two years to get that and the uh, course that goes with it uh, already. And uh, I just think it's the most important thing I've ever done. And I want hundreds of thousands to people to read it and absorb it and then become dynamic spiritual leaders. And so I would like each one of you to spend the, the money to get the book because it's not that I want the money. I really want you to become a tremendous spiritual leader. And I'm convinced that it would give you that great foundation to build on. But the point is I need to market these books. They're no, no good just sitting on the shelf. And so if you're a best-selling author, it means you're selling books. You're not just writing a book. You can write the best book ever and not sell any of them. So that brings me back to the point I needed a good website and I didn't have enough knowledge and I was weary with the whole idea of marketing things. It's like, God, I have the ability to write these great books, but I'm so stupid. You know, you get into the the weariness where you start calling yourself stupid. Now, the Bible says, by wisdom, a house is built, and through understanding, it is established. Through knowledge, its rooms are filled with rare and beautiful treasures, Proverbs 24. So I began praying that God would give me knowledge of how to sell and how to be a best-selling author. And so I went looking for knowledge, and God graciously let my eye fall on a book at the bookstore. On the shelf about selling, there was one down low called Marketing Made Simple. And I felt led to buy that book. And I have received a huge injection of knowledge. And uh, I, I know now how to make my website a virtual selling machine. Well, it'll take some money to have my tech guy revamp it. But I'll pray for that to come in. And then, uh, you know, I am very excited about the future. I have been refreshed and encouraged. I am very confident that... Uh, I'll be able to successfully market my books, my curriculums, my tracks, and the missionary projects that we do. 
Now, another part of the equation is the power. See, I've done, I, I've done all I know how to do. I gave it my best effort. I used all my power. Well, if that's not enough, then you have to inject power into that part of the equation. And that's why I've learned to ask people to join me. Now, when I was young, I pray, God, I want to bring you glory. Oh, God, use me to bring you glory. After about 20 years, my prayer switched. Oh, God, I want to bring you massive glory. I've been praying that for... 20-some years. But now, my prayer has switched again. God, I want to help other people bring you massive glory, and I want you to help them help me. You know, I realized we really don't, anybody doesn't bring God massive glory by themselves. It really is a team effort. And uh, so, I want to get your power in on my side of the equation there. I want to have you join me, and you can get other people to join you. The point is other people have some power. So if you said, I've, I did all I know how to do, I gave it my best effort, don't quit. Instead, get more effort injected in there. Get some effort from other people. Now, Jesus said the harvest is huge and ripe, but there are not enough harvesters to bring it all in. So as you go, plead with the owner of the harvest to drive out into his harvest fields many more workers. That's the Passion Translation of Luke 10, 2. Plead with God to really compel people out into the harvest field. So I want you to join me by pleading with God in intercession to use my new book and curriculum to raise up many thousands of new spiritual leaders and have it be a source of revival and then strengthening of thousands of existing spiritual leaders. Uh, and then, of course, wouldn't it be wonderful if you read it and became a tremendous spiritual leader? Now, the same goes for the Books for Chaplains or Books for Prisoners project. The harvest is huge. The American prison system has over 2 million inmates. Uh, but there are not enough sponsors, see? Uh, well, we thankfully, we get sponsors through prayer. But I would like to have you join me, join, put your power in there, and plead with God to raise up sponsors so that we could go faster. Now, thank God we've been able to give away 260 books in two days because of donations that have come in. So that's a great feeling. We're almost up to 3,000 books being placed in prisons and uh, we are uh, opening up uh, just this week six additional prisons. So what a lot of fun we're having. <laughs> now, I've written a new tract with nine drawings. They're all in color, beautifully laid out. But I turns out I need $2,250 to print 15,000 copies, which would be printed and shipped at 15 cents each. Now, I could keep them in print by selling them for $25 per hundred or for orders of 500 they could be discounted to $20 per hundred. Uh, for, for over a year, I've been wanting to make tracks called engagers. I noticed that every home crusade has this certain form of a tract. It's called an engager, and that's what they pass out to every home. Except when I read theirs, I thought I can make better ones than this. And I don't think that's a prideful thought. I think I have the skill to make better ones. And uh, I believe I've made a better one. Well, I've been praying that God would give me new methods of soul winning. You see, because 
All we know about God is like a box of thread, but our method is our needle. And without a needle, no thread ever gets into the cloth. And without a method, everything you know about God never gets communicated to anybody else. And so I started asking God for new methods. And then I said, I don't want just a needle, a new method. I want a sewing machine. I want methods that are so good that we can really get this message out fast to a whole lot of people. And uh, so... That's why then God has been helping me move towards making tracks again. We have one track that has 250,000 in print, and it's many people have come to Christ through it. One soul-winning booklet with 279,000 copies in print. But then all that just kind of slacked off. Now we're revitalizing all of that. We have a new tract, plus I got my artist to put two older tracks, upgrade the art and make it color, and we're going to have the most powerful tracks of, I don't know where you'd get more powerful tracks. And then what I want to do is uh, uh, have, when people donate money for boxes of forgiveness books for prisoners, I want a little extra donation. We could put in some salvation tracks that would just be marvelous tools for chaplains to use. Well, you know, where do I come up with all the money for all of that? You see, if I just try to do it all in my own power, then I'm in the equation of weariness. I've done, I've done, uh, I used all my knowledge. I used all my power. I gave it a great lifetime commitment. Still not enough. It has, instead of quitting, you have to inject power in there. And so I'm inviting you to bring your power into that equation, and uh, we can help each other bring massive glory to God. All right, now my third thing is we need to take, uh, my third point, we need to take responsibility to hear from God when we're weary. Paul was on his way back to Rome, and his ship was caught in a great storm. Luke was on board, and he wrote this. He said, when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and the storm continued raging, we finally gave up all hope of being saved. See, Weariness from the storm degenerated into hopelessness. But Paul took responsibility to get a fresh word from God. So Luke even gave up all hope, but not Paul. Now, Paul went to prayer because Jesus had appeared to him and said, you must testify for me in Rome. So he just couldn't let that go. He hung on to that word and resisted the fear. And, but he said, I got to hear from you again, God. And then an angel appeared to him, told him the ship would wreck on an island and be lost, the cargo would be lost, but that God would graciously give him the souls of everybody sailing with him. Nobody would die. And so he got the word that refreshed him and refreshed everybody on board. All right? And uh, so it, it all happened that way. They were all saved. The ship was lost, but they were all saved. Another example is when David's army of uh, 600 men were not allowed to go with the Philistines to battle against King Saul. They returned to their little village, Ziklag, and found it burned with fire, all their possessions stolen, and all their families kidnapped. And the Bible says they wept until they had no more strength to weep. And then their weariness was about ready to degenerate into murder because they were talking about stoning David. But the Bible says David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Now, what that means is he took responsibility to hear from God. Nobody else was. 
And even the priest who traveled with David was too weary to inquire of God. He was also, he wept so much, he didn't have any strength. And so David said, bring the ephod to me. Now, I've always wondered exactly the significance of that. An ephod was a priestly garment. And the priest was too tired and weary to put it on. And so David said, bring it to me. I'll put it on. Now, he, he wasn't a Levite. He was from the tribe of Judah. But he put that priestly garment on and sought God, and God didn't strike him dead for doing that. Instead, God spoke to him and said, pursue this raiding party. You'll overtake them and succeed in the rescue. And David got the word of faith that revived him. It refreshed him. It refreshed all of his men. And they pursued them and won the victory and got everything back, plus all the plunder that the enemy had taken from other people. <coughs> now, we need to ask God to show us the future, just like David did. See, if the devil shows you the future, it'll be a picture of his own making, and it will be fearful and discouraging. Uh, but if God shows you the future he has for you, it'll be encouraging to you. Now, Jesus said the Holy Spirit will tell you what is yet to come. And God has a future for his own people. Uh, in Jeremiah, God spoke and said, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Now, Jeremiah was also going through a terrible, discouraging time of war and famine and national destruction. But he took a responsibility to hear from God and was shown that the Babylonian captivity would last 70 years and then God was going to restore the nation of Israel, bring the remnant back, make them a nation again. And of course, that story and that verse have been used for hundreds of years to refresh so many millions of people around the world. Remember, there were 276 people on board Paul's ship, but only one took responsibility to hear from God. There were 600 men in David's army, and he was the 601st, but only one took responsibility to hear from God. Now, I'm telling you, friendly, dear friend, I'm, I'm your friend, I'm telling you kindly, don't wait for your pastor to hear from God for you. Don't wait from some spiritual person to hear from God for you. Uh, don't just go on the internet and hear somebody else. You take responsibility to hear from God, and you can get a word that will refresh yourself and will refresh many others. Now, about a year ago, a prophetic lady named Kathy Janice prophesied to me that God was giving me a priestly garment to seek him in, like David said, bring the ephod to me. So uh, then, you know, in this last year, I started getting up. I get up at 4 or 5 every morning and get the coffee on and read the Bible and pray and seek God and generally have about three hours with God nearly every day. But I have a special uh, sweatpants and a sweatshirt that are really comfortable, and I call that my priestly garment. And so I get up, and I don't even start seeking God till I get the coffee on and I get in my priestly garment, and then I just really have a great time seeking God. Well, I get words that refresh myself and refresh other people. So we can be like Isaiah. He wrote, The sovereign Lord has given me a well-instructed tongue to know the word that sustains the weary. 
He wakens me morning by morning, awakens my ear like one being instructed. Isaiah 50, verse 4. I think I'm experiencing and living in that verse. Now, what America needs is a whole bunch of instructed tongues. Remember, Isaiah said, God wakes me up every morning. He talks to me, gives me an instructed tongue. The nation of America is glutted with angry tongues, slandering tongues, divisive tongues, lying tongues, accusing tongues, threatening tongues. Wouldn't it be wonderful to have you be one of the ones that has an instructed tongue that refreshes the weary? And then what, you, what have you got to do? Well, you've got to decide to seek God and let him make you that kind of person. My fourth point, refresh someone else and God will refresh you. Proverbs 11.25 says, A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. Now, how might you refresh someone? You've got to think a little bit. Be creative. I've uh, sent the book, My Time in Heaven, to several people who've lost a loved one. That's Richard Sigmund's uh, great book. He was dead for eight hours, saw more of heaven than any vision or anything I've ever read about. It's very detailed and extremely encouraging. And so I use that when someone's grieving over a lost loved one. And I just bought another one today to send to a, a pastor friend who lost his oldest son. I hope it's a refreshing to him. But I know that if I refresh anybody, God's going to mark me for refreshment. All right? Now, uh, here's a project you might do. If you have living parents, write them a well-thought-out letter of gratitude for all the things you never said thank you for when they were raising you. And I remember writing one for my dad, and I said, Dad, I don't know if I ever thanked you for the 4-H calves. You gave me a calf every year. You let it go towards my college. You got me two horses, uh, you know, and I was, I thanked him for just a whole bunch of stuff and his examples to me and teaching me how to be a man and work like a man and stuff like that. When he died, we were going through his stuff and I found that letter that I'd written him saved in his top drawer with his most precious papers. He'd saved it for years as a most treasured item. And, uh, you know, what a joy to know that we could refresh somebody and your very own parents uh, to thank them. That's one great way to do it. Later, I wrote something similar for my mom. And the Bible says if you honor your mother and father, you know, God will bless you with a long life. You get an earthly blessing out of it as well, as well as getting refreshed because then God will refresh you. Um. Uh, another project that I did recently, one of our friends from the 1970s, he's my age, but he's very, very ill, and he he has bed sores. So I ordered a tu tube of the uh, silver sol uh, cream that has the nano silver in it that's so healing for burns, and I bought him a tube of that and took it to him. I hope it helps with his bed sores. The point is, if you'll ask God, what can I do to refresh somebody? See, don't wait till you're feeling great. Try to refresh somebody when you're weary, when you're worn out, because then you get into that Bible promise there. If you refresh others, you will be refreshed. And it's a spiritual law. God will mark you for refreshment and make it come to you. Now, my fifth point, when 
how to move from weariness to being refreshed. Associate with people who are full of God. In the Bible, people had to go to a well to draw water. And, you know, some people are just wells of living water. And when you really need a drink, you've got to go to the well. And those people really have God living big in them. Now, the Apostle Paul often found him refreshing for himself in God's people. And he wrote, By all this we are encouraged. In addition to our own encouragement, we were especially delighted to see how happy Titus was because his spirit has been refreshed by all of you. And then he wrote to Philemon, Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, dear brother, have refreshed the hearts of God's people. There's a little church in Myrtle Creek. And a couple years ago, God literally spoke to the pastor and said, Get a hold of Wes Doffenbaugh and have him come. Well, that little church has had me come probably every two to three months, you know, very regularly for over two years. And they've done more to encourage me and refresh me than probably all the other churches put together. They've just done a tremendous, wonderful job of, of refreshing me. So what am I saying? I'm saying that I often need encouragement and I find it in God's people. So, you know, the devil doesn't want us to meet together. You can pray for the governor of California and pray for California because he's outlawed any type of Christians getting together. That's the devil behind that, believe me, because it's when we get together that we encourage each other. We literally drink from that spiritual well that God puts in our brothers and sisters. Now, there's a group, another group that's encouraged me a lot, uh, in uh, Hartford, Connecticut, called Praise Chapel. And uh, there are many people there and that come to the meeting that they have once a year. They call it uh, the Feast of Tabernacles, and they celebrate that. And I've been a speaker there two years in a row. <clears throat> well, they one afternoon during that week, they would have uh, the speakers sit in a chair, and the other ones would come around, pray for them, and, uh, and then give them whatever they heard from the Lord, like prophetic words. Both years, I was given the most wonderful, encouraging words. And one of my favorites was given to me by a young lady that's a very godly young lady. And she said that God was going to be my patron and that a patron was somebody that took an artist and uh, would help the artist pay their expenses, uh, put them in their certain kind of clothes that represented the, the patron, and uh, and basically pay their expenses for their uh, their whole livelihood so that they could uh, be creative. And she said, God is going to do that for me. Well, I've seen God do that, but that's a tremendously encouraging word. And where did I get it? I got it from, it was inside another Christian, you see, like a well of living water. Now, we need to be aware of what kind of well we're drawing our water from. For instance, if you're drawing your water, so to speak, from the news media, it's polluted, it's toxic, it's full of fear and discouragement, and lies and slander and anger and distortions. Because they want to make everything look bad for political purposes. And if we believe it all, 
we take a huge hit in discouragement. We think the world's coming to an end. We think everything's going to the devil, and uh, and we get really weary. So choose your wells carefully, all right, and and draw from the living water that God puts in his own people. Uh, now, even evil people can weary God, like the Bible says, you've wearied me with your offenses. But there are living living wells, living water in people. One of them I, that I check out, see, I look at the news, but then I check out this prophetic website called uh, hiskingdomprophecy.com, and I usually look at that every day. There's one lady in particular that's usually featured there called Veronica West, who lives in England. I don't get too much out of... There's a lot of people that are pretend prophets, and I don't get much out of any of them, nor do I get all excited What if they say the world's coming to the end. I, I just don't buy into too much of that. But I believe that this lady is uh, a genuine gift to the body of Christ. And uh, I get the most wonderful refreshment from what she hears from God. It's, it's good news. It's really good. So you might check that out. Now, uh, you remember the prophet Elijah was weary because from what he could see and hear, it looked like he was the only one left who served and feared God. And he was getting all the bad news, you see, and getting really weary. And so when God spoke to him, God said, it's 7,000 times better than it looks to you. I've reserved 7,000 people that have not bowed their knee to that idle Baal. Now, here's an example. Uh, the news media will often tell us about all the riots in America and how many people are getting shot in what city. A guy named Sean uh, Fuchs, I believe is the way you pronounce it, is a Christian musician. I think he's out of Redding, California. And he's holding these street concerts called Let Us Worship. They're rallies, and they go to the cities that have been devastated by riots. And then great crowds of whites, blacks, and Hispanics joined together, Christians loving each other, people getting saved, people getting baptized, and they've done that in Portland and Seattle. In Seattle, the Satanists marched through their group and people attacked, they tried to break their equipment. People were pulling knives on them, but they got through it all. They just kept worshiping and God was tremendously glorified. Now, you probably won't see that on uh, you know, the secular news networks. But there's good news out there. That's why I'm telling you, watch what well you're drinking from. And uh, Fox News, to their credit, gave good reporting on that. And uh, CBN, Christian Broadcasting Network, those are two outlets that have reported on this. Now, my sixth point is, oh, and this is a good one, folks, refresh yourself with gratitude to God. Now, I've really been experiencing this. <clears throat> we grow weary with the insanity that seems to be overtaking our world. Wouldn't you agree that things just look like people are going insane? Recently, I read an article of a, of a professor at a university who is saying that two plus two equals four is a white racist concept. Can you believe it? And I don't know about you, but I think that when the courts say that transgender men that have their male genitals still are, are allowed to compete in women's sports and go into women's bathrooms, see, that just makes me think the world's gone crazy. And then when so many people think socialism is going to be better than 
capitalism. I, the problem is not socialism or capitalism. It's always greed. And wherever the devil mixes in greed, it messes up every system. But socialism, especially, is where almost everybody gets greedy and they want to just take from everybody else. And then everybody goes broke. And there's only a few people that have any money and they rule over people ruthlessly. And it usually ends up in mass slaughter. Something like 100 million between Stalin and communist China produced just millions and millions of death. So, you know, it looks like the world is going insane. And they are. And I'll tell you where it comes from and then you can go the other direction. Now, Paul wrote in Romans 1, For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal human beings and birds and animals and reptiles. And therefore God uh, gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies one with another. And they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is praised forever. Amen. That's Romans chapter 1. Now, notice it's when they didn't thank God that their hearts grew dark and they went nuts. They professed themselves to be wise but became exceptionally foolish. And that's what's happening in our culture. When people don't believe that God exists, they don't thank God, they don't glorify him as God, what happens? They profess themselves to be wise, but they become incredibly foolish. I mean, how foolish is it to say that 2 plus 2 equals 4 is a, is a white uh, racist concept? Good grief. <laughs> Unbelievable. And yet, crazy stuff is happening. Why? Because people aren't thanking God. They're not glorifying God. They're getting crazier. <clears throat> what does that mean to you and I? We should thank God more. We don't want to catch the crazy disease going around. And the more you thank God, the more you glorify him, the more you get your heart enlightened and the more wisdom comes to you. Now, I had an event in my life roughly about a month ago. I was in a business meeting, didn't expect to have a great encounter with God in a church business meeting, but they were talking about how two churches were going to become one and blend and I had been praying for God to save that church from closing. I had rejoiced when God answered my prayer and sent the former pastor that I worked with in the 1970s, even though he was 80 years old. And this business meeting was telling how another church with a younger pastor, they were going to blend the two churches together and they were going to be bringing in about 100 people. And I had such gratitude rise up inside of me. It was like the new wine that Jesus talked about expanded inside of me. Later, I, later I said I felt like a 120-pound woman that gave birth to a 200-pound baby. I mean, the gratitude just vol got volcanic in me. And I spoke out and said, God has answered prayer. God is answering prayer right now. And he's going to answer prayer for this church in the future. And it was just like prophetic but, oh, the emotion of gratitude was overwhelming. And then for three days, I felt physically weak. And I thought, what was that? And, you know, when you get in the glory of God, it can take a toll on your flesh. 
And uh, I realized that my gratitude had just taken me up into the glory. I got close to the throne there. I didn't see the throne of God, but I was right there. <laughs> and, and it had an effect on my flesh. Now, I've, I read in Richard Sigmund's book, My Time in Heaven, that when people get to heaven, before they can have an audience right before the throne of God, they have to eat the fruit of the trees up there uh, for a season and that prepares them to be able to endure the glory of God's presence so they won't just melt. And I got to thinking about that. I thought, you know, I believe when we thank God a lot, we kind of acclimatize ourselves to the higher levels of God's glory. And I believe that's a, that's a powerful statement. And so a lot of people say, oh, God, send your glory, send your glory. Well, Start thanking God for everything you can so that when the glory comes, you won't melt. You can actually stand it. Now, we refresh ourselves by giving God words that he can enjoy creating. And most of the time, these are words of thanksgiving. So in Isaiah 57, verse 19, it says, and this is the ESV translation, English Standard Version, I have seen his ways, but I will heal him. I will lead him and restore comfort to him and his mourners, creating the fruit of the lips. That's the phrase I'm concentrating on. Peace, peace to the far and to the near, says the Lord, and I will heal him. Isaiah 57, and that little phrase is in verse 19, creating the fruit of the lips. Now, I had found myself saying it's, it's so frustrating not to have the money to do this or to do that. God told me to do it. God wants me to do it, but I don't have the money to do it. You know, and, and I'd been thinking and saying stuff like that. Now, would God want to create the fruit of the lips from those words? Well, we hope not. <laughs> He'd be creating poverty if he did. So I, when I saw that phrase, I thought, you know what? I should give God some words from my mouth that he would like to create. And then the Holy Spirit brought Philippians 4, 6 to mind where Paul wrote, uh, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Philippians 4, 6 through 7. Now notice that if we ask for something, we're supposed to believe that we have received it. That's Mark eleven twenty four. Whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. All right, so when we ask, we're supposed to believe that we have received it and thank God for it. And then God literally creates the fruit of our lips. See, but if we're not giving God the thanksgiving we're not believing that we're receiving. We're not believing that he's answered prayer. We're giving him grumbling and griping and stuff like that and fear statements. Well, he doesn't want to create those words. But if you'll give him thanksgiving and say, Lord, I'm so glad you hear. You have heard prayer in the past. You're hearing my prayers now. You'll hear them in the future. You are so faithful. Thank you for meeting my needs. Thank you for this answer. Then God says, now, I like those words. I'm going to create the fruit of those words, and he does and will. And so instead of, you know, instead of saying, oh, I wish I had the money to do this, I wish I had the money to do that, I have been asking God, for instance, Lord, I want to send out more books to chaplains so that they can give out to uh, uh, the prisoners. I just want to do that all over America. 
Uh, now, Lord, I just ask you to uh, raise up the sponsors, and I thank you for doing it, Lord. Thank you for doing it. And then God's been creating the fruit of my lips. So instead of sitting around saying, I wish more people would give, I just started, I see one day I was weary and I was thinking I'm so stupid. I don't know how to raise money and blah, blah. I was going down the wrong track. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to give God the fruit of my lips that he will like. And the next day, $600 came in the mail, and I got a call on the same day. Uh, it was enough to send out, uh, I believe, 260 uh, new you know, books to new prisons, five new prisons. And I was refreshed. Now, remember it says that when you pray, you don't be anxious about anything, and you pray with thanksgiving— then it says the peace of God is going to come over your heart and your minds. And I remembered that Richard Sigmund, in his vision of heaven, said that the third most beautiful place in heaven is the fountain of peace. And this beautiful fountain, he says, instead of the mist of water coming down, it's the mist of the very glory of God. And he says the peace is so incredible. Well, we may not see that fountain of peace, you say, what's the first most beautiful place? Was the throne of God. What's the second? He said the second was just like the first. It was the face of Jesus. But the third most beautiful place in heaven was the fountain of peace. And, you know, even if you don't see it, you can be caught up to where the mist of the peace of God is coming down over you to keep and guard you. And you get refreshed. Now, Thanksgiving is the way there. God creates the fruit of thankful lips. Would you say that again? Say it out loud. God creates the fruit of thankful lips. I hope you'll give God words that he wants to create. All right? Thankful words. Now, my last point, my seventh point. There is a thought in the Bible that can refresh you in whatever circumstances you're in. Now, sometimes in the trials of life, I've said, I've said this. God, I've read and reread the Bible. I've listened to it through so many times. But I don't know of anything in there that can make me feel better or comfort me right now. But if you know something in there that could help, I'd sure like you to show it to me. Now, I haven't prayed that too many times. But I prayed that recently. Just very recently. Because I was weary. And then God showed me a verse. Now, I'd been, uh, the Bible says, the law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. <clears throat> so I was feeling down on myself, weary with having so many great ideas for tracks and books and courses and other ministry things and yet not having the money to do it. And so I was weary of asking other people. I felt like a spiritual beggar. I felt stupid, dumb, and I didn't know any place in the Bible that could comfort me. So I prayed that prayer. I got in my uh, <laughs> priestly garment, all right, uh, my uh, comfortable sweatshirt and sweatpants, got my coffee, began to read the Bible, and I had asked, what, is there anything in the Bible that could make me feel better? And I found this verse where Jesus sent people out on a mission, and it's Luke 10, 4. And he said, now go, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. Don't take any money with you, nor a traveler's bag, not even an extra pair of sandals. And 
God used that verse to show me that he was taking responsibility for me being a minister with great ideas but not having the money to do it all by myself. I was like the people God was sending out. He said, you go out, you got ministry and none, you got power, but other people are going to have to feed you and house you, and I don't want you to have any money. And so the way the Lord applied that to me was, he's, he's got me in this position. He wants me to be in a position where I can't do it all by myself, and I literally need other people. And that's the way he wants it. Well, I've come up with this little phrase, we help each other bring God massive glory. I can't bring God massive glory by myself, neither can you. You might need a good idea, and I might have the good idea, but you might be like the arms and legs that brings it to pass. Now, Paul said we are one body, and he, and he wrote this. He said the head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. You see, I, now believe me, I'm saying this very humbly, but I often feel like a brain that doesn't have a body. Imagine a brain that's alive. It can think, but it can't. It doesn't have any arms. It doesn't have any legs. It can't do anything. It just thinks. Well, I keep thinking up wonderful ways to win people to the Lord. I mean, I just think of one thing after another. I want to produce a coloring book for kids that would have simple outline drawings of from my books on one on the right side of the, and then on the left side of the page, the left page there opposite it, uh, would have a memory verse, and a little paragraph or two that a parent or grandparent could read, with the child a little lesson. And then I have another idea. You know, I'm revitalizing two of my tracks. My my. Uh, artist has put them into color the pictures they look so good i mean i can hardly wait till where i have just an arsenal of the most excellent tracks in the whole world well here's another one i want to do see i'm like a brain i'm thinking uh and the the tract would have a, a child talking to a sort of a mad scientist that looks like einstein with the big uh, curly hair you know and uh the the child would be saying uh well, look at this rock. It looks just like an arrowhead. Isn't it amazing how the forces of nature have, have evolved this rock into what looks like an arrowhead? Then the scientist would say it did not evolve. It was created by the hands of man. That's an artifact that proves that man was here. And he's talking to the child like the child is dumb. Uh, and and, and uh, the child insists, no, it's, it's evolved. And the scientist said it could never evolve. The forces of nature would round off the edges. Uh, it could never have sharp edges like that. That proves that man was here. Well, then the boy asked, well, then how, if the forces of nature couldn't make a simple arrowhead through millions of years of evolving, how could they possibly produce a living, breathing man who hears and walks and talks and has the skill and has the hands and the eyes and uh, male and female and can reproduce and has a brain? How could, uh, how could evolution produce that? And then the scientist would have to say, hmm, you have a good point. And then we'd have the boy looking at, uh, with the scientist in a, in a museum with paintings on the wall and he would say, uh, point to a, painting of a horse look at this this wonderful painting that has evolved over millions of years 
Isn't it amazing how the colors all ran together and the frame was just a driftwood that somehow crashed into place? And the scientists would say, don't be stupid. Don't be silly. The forces of evolution could never make a painting. This painting proves that an artist was here. Some man or woman created this. It's obviously been made by an artist. Then the child would say, well, if the painting of a horse could never evolve, how could the actual living, breathing horse evolve with eyes and ears and muscles? And then the mad scientist would have to say, hmm, you've got another good point. And then the tract would start closing with, you have a creator. You can get to know him. You are not an accident. Now, I think we could make that really, really cute. So what am I saying? One time a prophetic lady in this... uh, one that prophesied God is going to give me a priestly garment. We were at her house and we were at the table eating and she said about, she said to me, you are a real brainiac. Uh, I don't know how to spell brainiac, but so a brainy person, I guess. And I didn't know if she was complimenting me or kind of insulting me. But lately, I do feel like a, a brain that doesn't have any arms or legs. <laughs> And, you know, that thought just refreshed me, and I thought, you know what? God's got me right where he wants me. He's got me thinking up all kinds of things that I cannot do without the help of others. And so you may not be able to think up the creative things that I do, but you could help me through prayer, through a financial gift, or if we actually complete it to to hand out those tracks or send one, we're going to fix it so you can send them over your cell phones. And we just literally help each other bring God massive glory. And uh, I won't be able to bring God massive glory without the help of a whole bunch of people. Well, here's the conclusion. We've, uh, we've had God refresh us again. He's created the fruit of our lips again. He's refreshed us through other wonderful people again. We've changed the equation of weariness. And... Uh, I want to say a prayer for you. I'd like you to go back over this message um, and put each point into practice. And the God of peace will surely be with you. There's something in the Bible, some verse that God can interpret to you that will refresh you. There's some person that's like a well of living water that God can get you around that person and refresh you through them. You can take responsibility to get the word from God that will not only refresh you, but will refresh other people. All right, Father, we pray that you will come and refresh each of us through your presence, through teaching us your ways. And may everyone listening get those answers to prayer and feel the mist of the heavenly fountain of peace. We ask it in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. If you would like to partner with us at Encouragement Expert, please email us at pastorbacker at gmail.com or you can write P.O. Box 485, Cresswell, Oregon 97426.